The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 31 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we're going to be taking a look at Avengers number 29, This Power Unleashed! Our issue is written by Stan Lee, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Frank Giacoya, and letters by Sam Rosen. Now, for those of you who notice that Frank's name seems a little familiar, that is because this is the same gentleman who has, in the last few issues, gone by the pen name Frank Ray. And our issue comes to us in June of 1966. I have frequently complained over the last several issues of covers with white backgrounds and how much I don't like that. This issue gives us a black background, and I like it slightly more because I think in general the cover is actually really nice. And the black background bothers me slightly less than white, but I would still like to see much more of a background on the cover. Now having said this, the cover also gives the impression that this is far more of a Goliath-centric issue. Even the title to an extent gives that impression, this power unleashed. The fact that Goliath is the new addition to the team and he's extremely powerful in terms of physical prowess and his strength. But the reality is this issue is actually going to be split to some extent with Goliath, but also to a large part focusing on Hawkeye, which overall I, I really enjoy. I like the fact that we get to touch on both characters, but we've had some Hawkeye-centric moments earlier back when we had Swordsman show up and Swordsman shows up again in this issue. And I like how it helps flesh out the character a little bit more. I think of our four new Avengers, Hawkeye is the one that probably needs to be fleshed out the most. He was less well-defined in his role as a villain. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, I think, got a lot more page time in X-Men, especially because the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants was such a reoccurring villain in X-Men for so long before they joined the Avengers that they have much much more defined personalities and a much more clearly defined relationship with one another than Hawkeye does. So the Hawkeye-centric thing I think is really kind of useful and enjoyable. Certainly down the road I'd like to see some issues that focus on the other members as well, but for now because we need to define Hawkeye a little bit better, I'm good with the direction the book is going. So as the issue opens, we find Quicksilver trying desperately to revive Goliath. If you remember from last issue, Goliath, while coming down in size from 25 feet, got stuck at 10 feet tall and then passed out in kind of a inversion of the end of Avengers 13, where Wasp is injured. Now we have a situation where... Goliath is the one who's injured. And I was actually kind of hoping that the beginning of this issue would mirror the beginning of Avengers 14, the issue following when Wasp was injured. And unfortunately, it really doesn't. Having said that, it's still a really good beginning of an issue. Overall, I walked into this issue not expecting it to be fantastic, and this is actually a really fun issue. So when Quicksilver's efforts fail, the Avengers decide that they're going to contact Dr. Donald Blake. And for about half a second, I thought Thor was going to rejoin the book at this point. And then I come to find out that he's not home. 
So instead, Captain America contacts an old war buddy named Major Carlson, who is now a doctor. He was a doctor in World War II as well. He was a, a field medic. But Cap contacts his friend, and Dr. Carlson comes over to examine Goliath. What he finds out is that because of the strain of changing size, Goliath right now is stuck at 10 feet tall. And for him to even attempt to change size could mean instant death for him because his body just it can't take the strain anymore. There's actually a really great panel of Dr. Carlson delivering this news, and I just love the way it's colored. It helps build the tension and the drama of this scene. There's even a little bit of sweat running down the doctor's forehead when he's trying to explain how dangerous the situation really is. And that, you know, Goliath, he's going to recover, but currently things will never be the same. And I say currently because about two panels later, we get the inevitable kind of eject button that will reset the status quo that so the giant man can return to normal size. Stan gives us that little loophole. But for the next several issues, up through issue, I believe 35, we will see Goliath stuck in his 10-foot-tall form now. So while the Avengers are dealing with Giant Man and Dr. Carlson's news, we cut to somewhere in the, quote, Far East, where we see a, an Asian gentleman sitting behind a desk, and we reintroduce the character of Black Widow. So the last time we saw Black Widow was in a flashback to Hawkeye explaining why he wanted to become an Avenger. So back to Avengers 16 and Hawkeye talking about how this is the woman he loved and he doesn't know what happened to her. What apparently has happened is that she has been taken captive and brainwashed in order to help defeat the Avengers and allow communism to conquer the West. And oh man, Black Widow's costume is just so very 1960s. The, f the fishnet with the, it's not quite a domino mask, but very close to it, and kind of the bodysuit. And I mean, look, I'm not complaining about the look, but I am saying it is extremely of its time. The other thing about this scene is that it, I mean, to be perfectly honest, it is vaguely racist. Aside from the, you know, veiled reference, the, the Far East, which is obviously China, but it in general has been a kind of Western derogatory term for countries like China and Vietnam and Cambodia and Japan, like that area of the world. The gentleman in question, Mr. Hu Chen, H-U Chen, and Dr. Yen have a, a short conversation. And the way Dr. Yen's line is written, it comes across as being very much a stereotypically bad Chinese-speaking English accent. So while it's not explicitly racist, nor is the art, the very exaggerated 1940s style, again, blatantly racist art that we've seen before, it's still somewhat disturbing that even in this kind of small conversation, there's this veiled racism. Back in New York, Goliath is going into a rage. He's having a really tough time dealing with the fact that he's going to be stuck as 10 feet tall. And quite honestly, really sees himself as now being a freak. And Captain America tries to talk a little bit of sense into him. Cap talks about modifying some rooms in Avengers Mansion so that Goliath can be more comfortable. And Goliath is having absolutely none of this. Cap leaves him alone and asks Wasp to maybe try talking to him. Only by the time she goes into the room, Goliath has wandered off. He wants to be on his own right now. And we then cut to a circus where we find 
swordsman in his, I guess, normal identity as a sideshow performer performing to a very receptive crowd. And I, I really like this because, you know, swordsman is a character who wants to be in the spotlight. He's that circus performer. It's got to be all about him. And here he is doing exactly that. He's gone back to what he loves doing, which is these circus performances. And he is obviously the star of the show until he is approached by Black Widow, who calls him back into service. Swordsman readily agrees to help her take on the Avengers because Swordsman's pride was hurt when they defeated him so easily before that he is absolutely ready to join up. Back at Avengers Mansion, Hawkeye decides to drop in on Captain America training, and Cap lets him know that Black Widow has been sighted back in the United States. Hawkeye is overjoyed, and the panel really does a good job of giving us that expression of just elation on his face. It's really enjoyable to see something like that. So Hawkeye is planning to just run off and go find her, but Cap has a warning saying, you know, she's been gone for a while. The, the people who told me this information, they think that she has been brainwashed. Hawkeye doesn't really know what to do with his information. I mean, this is the woman he is madly in love with still. He knows Cap's probably right, but he says, so what am I supposed to do? Forget that I'm in love with her? Hawkeye just can't deal with it and leaves. He, he goes to go find her. Now, I love this interaction, and there's one at the very end of the book, because they show the changing relationship between Cap and Hawkeye. At the, at the beginning, it was very adversarial. Lately, it's been Hawkeye kind of fighting, quote-unquote, the man, which Cap represents. In these two situations, Cap acts much more like an older brother to Hawkeye. Cap tries to talk sense into him, but in the end he lets Hawkeye go, but he's still looking out for Hawkeye, so he sends Wasp to follow him to see if he gets himself into any trouble, and to come report if, if he does so, if Hawkeye needs help, the rest of the Avengers can come. The counter-benefit to that is that Wasp also needs something to keep her mind busy because she's worried about Goliath. But here is Cap really looking out for Hawkeye instead of belittling him or trying to order him around. He's giving him space to figure things out for himself, but also taking steps to provide whatever support or backup that Hawkeye may need. Hawkeye goes to the most obvious place for him to find Black Widow, the Long Island mansion where she had been living where her headquarters were. Because if I'm a wanted known spy, the first place I'm going is my last known address. That's a joke. I'm not going to my first, my last known address. I'm not going to any known address of mine. I'm not going to any address I probably had before at all, known or unknown. I'm going to go find somewhere new. But for the convenience sake and for the sake of moving the plot forward, Black Widow is in fact at her old mansion. Again, Hawkeye is just so overjoyed to see her, he immediately wants to kind of rush into a romantic situation, and she says, no, 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 we have company. And Hawkeye turns around to find Swordsman and Power Man there, assuming that both of these men are holding Black Widow hostage, that she is their captive. And unfortunately, it is the thing furthest from the truth. And Black Widow reveals this to Hawkeye, saying, No, there's no danger. Not to any but the Avengers. And Hawkeye realizes at this point that, yes, this is the woman he loves, but something's off. That, you know, maybe there is something to this brainwashing. He actually says, her voice is so cold, emotionless. Cap was right. She has been brainwashed. 
Of course, he does this right as he is firing off two arrows, one at Swordsman and one at Power Man. And the sequence here of three panels is fantastic. The first panel just looks great because it makes me think these arrows are going to pop off the page right at me. I love the perspective it's drawn from. The second panel shows Swordsman dealing with Hawkeye's arrow by just cutting it in half, using his finesse and his skill. And the third panel shows Power Man taking the brunt of his stun arrow. These last two panels are especially cool because it shows each of the characters using their particular skill set or their particular gifts or strengths in order to deal with these stun arrows, right? Like I said, Swordsman uses his skills and his finesse and his sword, and Power Man takes the hit and just keeps going. There's nothing to stop him. He's staggered for a moment, but that's about it, and very quickly he starts throwing chunks of marble floor at Hawkeye. Hawkeye's able to dodge them and then is knocked out by a, a strike from Swordsman. Wasp has seen all of this and decides that she needs to go back and report it to the Avengers. I mean, to be honest, that's why she's there. As she leaves, she is pursued by a sparrow. And I don't have any problems with this sequence. It's kind of entertaining watching Wasp try and avoid this bird while she's in her wasp-sized form. But in the end, she gets away from the bird, lands on this tree, makes herself full size. The branch breaks and she falls and knocks herself out. It's kind of anticlimactic and really just serves to push the story along. In the next sequence, we see Swordsman and Power Man in Avengers Mansion. Something had to happen to prevent Wasp from delivering her message. Instead of something that's more plot relevant, we get this bird sequence. I have mentioned several times, I think, we, I think we're actually beyond several and we're into many, how much the Avengers need to invest in a better alarm system. And yet again, the Avengers have someone sneak into their mansion and attack them. In this case, it is Swordsman and Power Man, both, and they manage to sneak up on Captain America, who is doing his on-call Avengers duty. And we get a really great fight between Swordsman, Power Man, and Captain America. I love the fight part, especially between Swordsman and Captain America, because it's so dynamic. And panel to panel to panel, it just flows so well. You can see the sword swings and the parries, Cap blocking with his shield. It's great. I think Power Man gets involved a little too soon, because initially... Cap is just aware of Swordsman, and Power Man's kind of off in another corner. Had Power Man waited a little longer, he probably would have made quicker work of Cap. There's a great panel, a full half-page panel, of Cap throwing his shield at Power Man that I really enjoy. And then Power Man manages to get Cap in a hold of some kind, and basically squeeze him until he loses consciousness. Now at this point, they retire back to what I assume is Black Widow's mansion because they imprison Cap in a dungeon beneath the mansion. So I have to assume it's not Avengers Mansion, that it's Black Widow's mansion. Part of me goes, who has a mansion in New York with a dungeon? Don't answer that question because it's probably some really twisted people. But seriously, a dungeon in their mansion. Okay. At any rate, Cap realizes that when he was imprisoned down here, they didn't do a particularly thorough search of his equipment, so he has a little emergency communication device still on his wrist under his glove. Pulls it off and he activates it. He is able to get a hold of Wanda and Pietro, so they suit up and they come looking for him. Before they do, they remember to leave a message for Wasp, and when she arrives back at Avengers Mansion, she gets the message, decides that she's going to help, but before she does, she is going to contact Goliath. In part because this is the man she loves, as she says, but also, I mean, he's still an Avenger, and he's one hell of a valuable resource to them. He's very, very, very useful to them right now. 
Since they have a head start, Wanda and Pietro are the first ones to arrive at Black Widow's mansion, and using his super speed, Pietro finds the dungeon where Captain America is imprisoned pretty quickly, but then is sealed into the dungeon with Captain America by a stone wall that slides closed. He's not actually like in the cell with Cap, but he's down in this dungeon area, and so he's trapped. Now, with Pietro gone, it leaves Scarlet Witch to wander the castle on her own, and she is quickly taken out by Swordsman and an Electro Blast from his sword. Because if you guys remember, back in issue 20, the Swordsman's sword was modified by the Mandarin. So he now has all these cool little gadgets and things on it, and one of them is this Electro Blast. Now Scarlet Witch has been taken out of the picture. I have to wonder if Scarlet Witch is less effective in this issue because we have a stronger female antagonist. Black Widow doesn't really do much of the fighting, but she's pulling the strings. She's the one running the show. And I, I say this because in the last couple of issues against the Collector and against Atuma, Scarlet Witch's powers have been extremely effective and, and very much on point. You know, she has been a very active participant in all the fights, and here she's basically taken out from behind without so much as a fight. I don't know if that's because of the fact that in a minute here we're going to see Giant Man rush in and save the day, and so all the other Avengers just had to be taken out in order to let Giant Man do that, or if there's something else going on here. Actually, in the next issue, we will see Scarlet Witch start to feel that her powers have weakened, which to me is somewhat counterintuitive based on her performance in the last few previous issues, and I kind of wonder why that change is happening. With the Avengers taken out, we now find our three villains discussing what their further plan is. All they've managed to do is capture the Avengers, but it's kind of the, the old question of if a dog chasing a car caught the car, would he even know what to do with it? What do you do with it at this point? You have the Avengers, what do you do with them? Well, Black Widow has a plan. She says, what a victory it shall be when they finally agree to turn against the free world and serve us. As soon as she says this, it's either Power Man or Swordsman, because the voice is coming from off panel. It says, us? Who do you mean by that? And just as she's getting ready to explain, the front door of this mansion is crushed in and enrolls Goliath in all his glory. What I am about to say is probably considered blasphemy, but I think here that Don Heck does a better job than Jack Kirby at showing scale as it relates to Goliath or Giant Man. One of my big complaints from a lot of the earlier issues that we've had is that Giant Man didn't feel like he was all that much of a giant and that often his perspective was off. In this, the best of the villains come up to his shoulder, and he is squatting down to fit inside the room. So he, at full height, would just tower over these men. I don't know whom the tallest individual that any one of you have been near. The formerly tallest man in the United States lives in the town I live in. I don't claim to be friends with this man, but I have run into him at the mall, and he is almost eight feet tall. It is just mind-bending how tall that is. I'm a fairly tall person. I am six foot two. I am taller than the average person. This man is almost eight feet tall, and he just towers over me. I cannot imagine what adding an additional two feet on top of this guy and then packing on superhero-level muscle, how massive and intimidating this person would be. Until now, I've never gotten that proper sense from Jack Kirby, and to be perfectly honest, some of Don Heck's earlier work with Giant Man. In this panel, I absolutely feel that, and I'm really happy for it. 
commensurate with Goliath's size is also his strength and his fighting ability. Especially when it comes to Power Man, who is used to being top dog, used to being the strongest guy around. Giant Man very quickly puts him in his place. So while Goliath is dealing with Power Man and Swordsman, Wasp is off dealing with Black Widow. And she prevents Black Widow from using some of the technology hidden throughout the house against Goliath. And then Wasp goes and frees the rest of the Avengers. And I really like this because this is kind of teamwork at its best. I always keep talking about how much I want the Avengers to fight as a team. And I love stuff like in the X-Men, the fastball special where Colossus throws Wolverine. That's a form of teamwork where they're physically working together in the middle of the fight. But another form of teamwork is where each of the individuals involved have their own assignment for the mission and they go and they execute it perfectly to make all the little pieces fall into place and the plan goes perfectly. And this is one of those points. While Goliath is dealing with the heavy hitters, Wasp comes and she deals with Black Widow and then she frees the rest of the Avengers to help fight. It works really well. Also, it's nice to see the two of them fighting together because they are that superhero couple. With the rest of the Avengers freed, the fight quickly turns against Power Man and Swordsman and they are backed into a corner only to be saved by Black Widow slowly and secretly opening a door to let them out. Just as the Avengers are about to pursue, a wall of laser beams comes up, and the only person who can do anything is Hawkeye. So Hawkeye pulls back his bow, is about ready to let loose with an arrow, and he sees Black Widow step in front of Power Man and Swordsman, and he just can't bring himself to lose his arrow. As they're escaping, you see Hawkeye very dejectedly say, All right, Winghead, say it. Go ahead, say it! This is one time I got it coming. Instead of jumping down his throat and berating him and calling him out, Cap does the exact opposite. He says, there's, there's nothing to say. Yeah, we're Avengers, but we're also human beings. You did everything you could. This is the second of those two moments that I talked about earlier, where we have that older brother kind of mentoring relationship between Cap and Hawkeye. And it's, it's really great. In fact, Hawkeye goes, and that's the guy I've been riding for months. I wish the ground would swallow me up right now. Hawkeye knows, you know, I've been all over Cap the last few months, and he just turned around and really showed me what leadership is and, and what a classy individual is. Again, these two moments are just spectacular, and part of the reason I love this book so much. Our book actually ends, though, with a couple more panels. Captain America welcoming Goliath back, and Goliath saying, basically, I'm glad to be back, but things aren't ever going to be normal again. He kind of just sadly walks off saying you know go ahead i'll catch up later i can't even fit in the car to ride home with you guys it's kind of a sad ending it's not like terrible sad nobody died but you know you feel for goliath here he really didn't want to get back into superheroing did it for the love of wasp and then now he's stuck dealing with the consequences of something he didn't really want to do and the funny part is he's not even mad at wasp he's really just kind of upset at the universe for putting him into this situation Overall, I really enjoyed this issue. I walked into it not really thinking I was going to just because of the way it opened. I thought we were going to get more of a Goliath needs to be saved. I was expecting a lot more parallels to Avengers 14, which, although I'm disappointed we didn't get because I like it when you can have these, these mirror images of stories, that wasn't a great issue, at least not from a story point of view. So the fact that we did something different here doesn't really bother me and I think actually added to my enjoyment of the issue. In this issue and in the next couple of issues to come, we see some real prime examples of Hank Pym's bipolar nature. 
when you take a look earlier in the issue, right after he gets the diagnosis from Dr. Carlson, Hank is very much in a manic state. He's trashing things, he's yelling, he's screaming, and then very, very soon after, he is super depressed. And then here at the end of the book, again, he's very much depressed. And he has these just wild mood swings. We will see this come to play throughout the history of this character. But I love the fact that even this early on, we're building those things into this character. So before we go, I want to touch on something that's a bit of current events. I know we don't talk current events all that often, but as I am recording this, we are on the last day of Phoenix Comic Con 2017. And unfortunately, Phoenix has made the news lately because of a what was thankfully only a potentially very dangerous situation in that there was a gentleman arrested at Phoenix Comic Con, very heavily armed. Reports say three handguns, a shotgun, and several knives. He was walking around taking pictures of various law enforcement officers who were at the event and also had a note in his phone planning to murder Jason David Frank, who most people recognize as the Green Power Ranger from the Power Ranger television series. I have a few thoughts on this. First off is that my personal background is I am from Phoenix. I grew up there from the time I was a a toddler up until 18 and I moved away to college. My family still lives there. I have several friends who were in attendance at the convention and my brother-in-law and sister were supposed to be at the convention and because he, uh, my brother-in-law couldn't get off of work, they didn't go. So there's that. I have been to the event several times. Uh, in fact, most recently I was there last year for my bachelor party and it is one of my favorite events. It's probably up there with Emerald City Comic Con in terms of best conventions I have ever gone to. So this, this is something that is near and dear to my heart in, in several regards. And in general, I love conventions. It's what got me into loving comics and what eventually led me to being on this microphone right this second. So having said all of that, I am really disturbed and disappointed that something like this would happen. Again, knowing Arizona as I do, there is still some aspects of the Wild West still out there. Even though it is the one of the largest cities in the country, it is very suburban. At the same time, there is still a little bit of that Wild West mentality in there. I have no doubt that there were a small minority of individuals who were probably concealed carrying during the events that I have been to. Whether or not the convention center has requested that they not, they are gun-free zones, I firmly believe that there have been individuals carrying weapons there. However, none of them have ever had the intent of going there with the express purpose of harming individuals. I mean, that really worries me as a convention goer. And again, as someone who has family and friends who go to that specific event, I find it very, very worrisome. And I don't know what the final effect on the convention world will be. Overall, I think there will be an effect on Phoenix Comic Con. Their immediate response was to ban all props. Presumably the individual who brought these in brought them in under the guise of being props. Phoenix later walked that policy back a little bit to allow non-weapon props. But even things like lightsabers, uh, Star Trek phasers, anything like that, it was not permitted. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of evaluation on the part of Phoenix Comic Con. And to be fair, they are one of the most proactive convention organizers I've seen. They are going to put a lot of thought into their policy moving forward, I'm certain. And we will see what comes of it next year. But I'm also curious to see what comes out of this event with regards to comic conventions in general. Unfortunately, it may be that one person who probably has a lot of issues may have you know, ruined a lot of things for a lot of people. 
Now, once again, I'm extremely grateful that a vigilant convention attendee saw what was going on and brought it up and that Phoenix police were able to respond to the situation and apprehend the individual without any kind of incident. But it's always unfortunate when this kind of thing intrudes itself on our culture and our our lives. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we'll be taking a look at Avengers number 30, Frenzy in a Far-Off Land. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.